Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. We're discussing more movies from 1990. Boy, I, I talk about 1990 being like kind of a low year for horror, and I'm wrong. I, I mean, you remember, I, we, Kersey and I were talking on the last episode, horror, the franchise has died in 89, but we're still going strong. We got plenty of choices. I mean, there's a difference between like quality horror movies and uh, kind of just like the... Um... <laughs> The, uh, the sequels and um, endless remakes and shit like that. Right. Also, I mean, welcome to one of the most caffeinated episodes, folks. I'm yep. very excited. I I, uh, I was telling him beforehand, I got one of those little flavoring things for my water that you, uh, you, know, you squeeze in. Uh, didn't realize I had caffeinated, and I've had uh, two and a half co- uh, cups of coffee just running through my system. Yee! <laughs> yeah, just, just straight injected into the femoral artery, yeah. so this is going to be special. Um, there is one major horror movie from 1990 that we have not discussed, uh, besides Flatliners, which is more of a thriller, but I don't have it. It is the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead. I'm sure we've all seen it. It's essentially the same as the original. It's just in color, and it has a different cast, but it's the same movie. Yeah. So we're not going to discuss... It's pretty much shot for shot, so it's not really worth... Kind of yeah, it's kind of like the kind of way with Psycho, but at least... Psycho seemed like it was cynical remake, whereas Night of the Living Dead was George Romero didn't make any money off the first one because it immediately entered the public domain. So this is him just trying to make back some of the cash from all the investors of the old movie. So I get where he yeah. was coming from. And considering the equipment that he had back then, updating it or you know with modern cameras and things, it's not the worst idea. It just reintroduces a classic to a modern audience. Whereas like Psycho already like looks really good. Uh, yeah. the original so it doesn't really need uh, a remake but it's not the only movie that George Romero had in 1990 now while he is not the main guy behind it he's not directing it but he did produce and essentially has been nicknamed Creep Show 3 is Tales from the Dark Side the movie yeah and uh, there's definitely that influence on it uh, I did see Creep Show 2 and I already forgot everything that happened in it because it was pretty boring uh, but I'm a huge fan of the first creep show, and this definitely gave me the same vibes. Yeah, I like the second one quite a bit, but it's nowhere nearly as good as the first one. And this one, this one is closer to being a real sequel. And the reason why, if I remember correctly, it's not Creep Show Three is because the two guys, uh, I think it's Richard Rubenstein, was working with George Romero for that first Creep Show, and basically took over on the second one. George Romero and Stephen King basically just lent their names, but then they had a falling out. That's why you see shitty direct-to-video versions of Creep Show, which creep the real Creep Show three, and then there's like two or three like Day of the Dead remakes. Yes. And it's because when he left, the Richard Rubenstein, he took the rights. I think he just licensed them or sold them to someone else for fucking nothing. But not um, only that, they also made sequels to the Day of the Dead for some reason. That's so weird. Yeah, I've seen that. I just don't care. I watched the Day of the Dead remake, and it's fucking garbage. Uh, upside down puking zombies. Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't that one directed by Tom Savini? It was no. That's that's the Night of the Living Dead remake. The uh, oh, gotcha. uh, the uh, damn it. The Day of the Dead remake was directed by Steve Miner, who had done a couple Friday the Thirteenth House and Lake Placid. Gotcha. Um, here's a confusing part: is that they both have Ving Rhames in similar roles. So you almost think it's a legit sequel to 2004's Dawn of the Dead. Uh, say that. Say that again. So in 2004, the Dawn of the Dead remake that Zack Snyder did, he cast Bing Rames. So Bing Rames is also cast in the Day of the Dead remake, and they position it as if it's a real sequel, like a straight sequel. Weird. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it goes. 
Oh, wait, no, that is Donovan Beckham. Never mind. I guess that makes sense. That is a little bit weird. Um, but anyway, we're talking about Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, so um, have you seen the TV show? Uh, yeah, just the, I was more of a Tales from the Crypt guy, though. Yeah, that's the big budget one. There was many horror anthologies during the 80s. They were red fucking hot. We had the new Twilight Zone, which is good. I'll tell you this. The new Twilight Zone is very good. Uh, the Alfred Hitchcock Hour Presents, which I've never seen. There was Monsters. There was uh, uh, Freddy's Nightmares, Tales from the Crypt. And then Tales from the Dark Side was like the syndicated lower-budget version of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, I don't recall that there was ever a host, though. And that's what I think Tales from the Crypt makes it separate, uh, you know, because he was uh, the host. You would, someone you could connect to with every episode. Yeah, and it has kind of its own little through line uh, that goes throughout the entire show, which is what the movie does as well. It has a wraparound story, uh, which is uh, different from uh, the Creepshow movie. Right. Uh, well, no, they have the animated wraparound sequences in Creepshow. Wait, what? Do you remember in Creepshow they had the animated sequences? Like in the first one, it's about the kid getting bullied, and he gets the magazine ad, and he orders like a giant fly eating, or uh, a Venus flytrap. Yeah, I don't remember what the sequence is in the second one, but it's also animated. But um, uh, animation's terrible in that one. But this one, so yeah, it starts off with Deborah Harry has one of the Lawrence brothers in a, ca uh, a cage or whatever, and she's going to cook them up and eat them. And he proceeds to distract her by telling her stories. Uh, and that's the linking, is that each one of these is a, a story that he knows that he's going to uh, stall her with. Uh, it's a really good, and it's, it's a really good uh, way to introduce the stories a little more organically. Um, not only um, just you know someone telling you a tale and then you watch it, but also um, as as a as a means of him to try to think of a way to escape. I think it's, it's great to have kind of two layers to it. Yeah, and the uh, the first story is a Sir Conan Doyle story, which um, has oh god, like everybody became a star like right after this. So he has Steve Buscemi, Christian Slater, Julianne Moore. And I, that one, I saw this on TV uh, real early after it came out. I don't know how that happened. But I remember that one just wowing me. Like, it was just a real good, mean old story. And I would have guessed that would have been the Stephen King story, but it's not. Oh, really? Which one? Who, who did that one? The, that one is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Stephen King wrote the one about the evil cat. I, okay, that makes a little more sense. I think that, thinking about it now, Stephen King's style is really to introduce uh, human drama for the first half and then turn it in the second half with something supernatural. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, the the first one is gory goopiness with a, with a mummy who likes to scrape out people's brains and I think it's really entertaining. Oh yeah, it, this is I think it's probably the best one. It's, yeah. it's, it's definitely got, it's so goofy and just embraces the silly nature of, uh, of, the, of the horror comedy storytelling. Yeah, and, and all of these, oddly enough, Feel, if you've seen Tales from the Crypt, these all, or sorry, Tales from the Dark Side, these feel more Tales from the Crypt. Because, you know, yes. Tales from the Crypt always had that macabre, it's going to come and back, get you, you know, get you whatever. And no matter who the protagonist is, he's going to eat shit in the end. Yeah, and it's also, uh, Tales from the Crypt also really embraces the, the silly goofiness. Well, not every time, but that's really what people know it for. Yeah, because Tales from the Dark Side, not all of them were horror. Sometimes they were just like fantasy and, you know, more... Uh, there's no irony like the way Tales from the Crypt had. Yeah. Um, so the second story is uh, The Cat from Hell, 
which I could have swore was a Lucio Fulci movie from like 1981, A Cat in the Brain, or something like that, The Black Cat, but it's not the same story. Um, this one is just macabre fun watching this assassin think that he's got the cat. Instant. He Remember he thought that he was going to get him like that second, just inject him or snap his neck or whatever, and just spends the rest of the segment. Every time he thinks he has his cat, the cat fucks him over and just... I gotta tell you, when you see a, 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 a fucking cat climb down his throat and rip open his insides and bust his chest, it's so enjoyable. So yeah, fucking no, enjoyable. Well, what I, it was very much like a classic sort of Roadrunner cartoon situation. Yeah. It was very comedic. It, uh, it, it kind of, it definitely had that sort of uh, goofy uh, physical comedy sort of stuff going on. Uh-huh. And then it just hits you right at the very end, the cat launching into this dude's mouth and ripping him apart from the inside. What the fuck is this? And it, it's it's just relentlessly entertaining. Yeah, I thought he was just going to suffocate him, just like stay in his mouth or whatever. No, he just go, carves his way right through the dude. Yeah, or just like, you know, start scratching up his face so that he falls out the window or something. Yeah. It would be like that. But now they just went like really fucked up with it. I love, there's an old actor in this, and he didn't have a successful career until like he hit 70. And it's William Hickey. He's the man that hires the assassin whenever. But now his life's the way he talks. <laughs> yeah, I think probably the one that most people would know him for is uh, Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Say the blessing! <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess, yeah, he was in a movie called Princey's Honor in 1986. And he, was, he had been an actor for decades, but just was never successful. And all of a sudden, he gets so much notice from that movie. And then it's like he tried to pack in all the work he could before he passed away. And, and kudos to him. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely having fun with it. Uh, the third segment is Lover's Vow. Not based on, um, well, it says it's based on an old, uh, looks like a Japanese book. I can't tell, but it's it's, it's a legendary tale and, and, a, and not a not a short story that you know was in our lifetime. But uh, this one is called Yeah Lover's Vow, and it has uh, James Remar and Ray Don Chung, and basically it's all about this big secret that he needs to keep. And you know how these stories go that he's eventually going to tell you what happened and fuck it up. Did I know that was going to be the result? <laughs> Spoilers, that his wife of many years <laughs> was going to be the monster. No. I thought the monster was going to find out and then slay all of them. Right. So, yeah, just so that people are... Uh, the, the, the basic setup is that this guy is an artist and he's not doing very well. His, his, the person that's helping him basically quits on him. It's like, you're never going to make me kid, basically. And as he's drowning his sorrows late one night, he goes out into the alley to pee. And his his friend, who's the bartender, just gets eviscerated by this weird winged creature. And then the creature basically tells him, look, if you don't tell anybody about what you saw or who or what I am, then, then I'll just leave you be. But if you tell anybody, I'll be back. And, and, then, and then his life starts to get better. He meets this woman and things start... Uh, moving, they get married, and they have kids, and it's it's been like ten or so years, but he's still haunted by this thing, and he eventually is like, "Look, I've been holding this back from you. I don't want to hold this back anymore." And he just tells her, and then the creep, and then she starts turning into the creature, and then his kids turn into like little versions of the creature. To, and, and, uh, it was weird. Yeah, I, I expected him to be like crashing through the window. 
or to like it'll be like time bomb situation where you know he's coming but you just don't know when but no it's just it, it turns into body horror yeah, and it's like instantaneous. And the part that we're missing is the fact that his art starts selling because he's basing around this vision or, or the, the meeting that he had. And they start questioning, like, where did you get this idea? And then he finally tells the story. But, um, yeah, I mean, yes, it's 1990 effects. You got puppetry and animatronic kind of going on with the face. But it's still fun, grossness. I, I enjoyed it. I know what, I know. Uh, I can separate, like, oh, well, this is special effects of this time. I'm good with it. Yeah, it's definitely enjoyable. Uh, I do have to say it's probably, I think that the setup and the payoff is fantastic. I think it's a little too long. Yeah, it, it was a bit, it dragged a bit. Yeah, I mean, it was necessary to build up the sort of relationship and how the and, and how the ending sort of like uh, turns that inside out. And it makes it very interesting, but it does go on for a bit. The, uh, I had first moved from a big city to a small town, and they only had one theater, and they never showed horror movies, except for right at Halloween. But it was so weird that when I first moved there, they were playing this. And I was too young to see R-rated movies that were horror. I could only see action movies because my parents were stingy. I wish I'd seen this in theater. I think it would have been a blast. Yeah, this is definitely uh, one to laugh along to. This is not one of those high-end Jacob's Ladder kind of situation. This is just to have fun with friends. Better than Creepshow 2? Correct? Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I only like The Raft. And do you remember that one where the four kids, they go out onto The Raft in the middle of summer and there's like a slime creature that eats them? Honestly, I do not remember that. Wow. Yeah, it starts I, off I with... I think I watched it once, and I was like, eh, and then it just never went back to it. Yeah, the Warner Brothers did the first one, and then the second one, they weren't interested. Uh, so another smaller company picked it up, and they were going to do five segments. One of them was The Cat from Hell, and uh, the other one they had to ditch for budgetary reasons. And so there's only three segments. It's Old Wooden Head, which is like these Native Americans robbed this convenience store, and they send a wooden Indian after them. Uh, the raft, and then the third one is, can I get a ride or something like that, where the lady's having an affair and she runs over a guy hitchhiking, and he won't go away, and he just keeps coming back, as a, like a zombie, and yeah, he gets grosser and grosser every time she sees him. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Uh, that's why, yeah, I don't remember that. I can remember every segment of Creepshow. Uh, I don't remember a single one from Creepshow. Wow. Uh, yeah, so there was supposed to be a Tales from the Dark Side 2, but it didn't make as much money as they were hoping, even though it didn't cost very much, and they just kind of moved on. I think most companies were moving on away yeah. from horror during the 90s, uh, especially like the, the Paramount was a studio known for doing um, more like high concept thrillers and stuff like that, dad movies, so horror was not in their wheelhouse. Though they would kick ass with Ca uh, Candyman a couple years later, but also throw it away immediately. <laughs> what the fuck was that all about? <sighs> All right. Yeah, until they did a, a remake of it, I think last year, maybe two years ago, and it was amazing. Yeah, the uh, the first one's Paramount, and then the second one they sold to Universal. That's weird because that happened with Child's Play. Universal picked that one up too. Anybody holding the torchlight for horror in the '90s, it was Universal. Mm -hmm. um, the second movie is also from Paramount. I think the last one from Stephen King for a while, at least in theaters, was Graveyard Shift. Maybe the sweatiest movie we have ever discussed. <laughs> This movie is goopy with, but not gore, <laughs> it was sweat. <laughs> that was actually, that's something that's funny, because uh, I, going back and watching these old movies, I keep telling my partners, like, man, look how much they used to show sweat in movies. You don't see that anymore. And then, yeah, this one is just like, it's 100% sweat all the time. Oh, and everybody's smoking. 
The, these yeah. people are like, I love it when Stephen King taps into blue collar. Because, you know, there's there's that, sometimes he has like misery where it, it's it's a very particular kind of person. But he knows how to tap into broken fucking people. And I'm assuming it's because a lot of the Northeast, and also where I live, you know, all the way from like Maine to Chicago, that's kind of a pipeline of industry. You know, steel and cars and factories and stuff like that. And he kind of taps into this old world uh, feel of it too because that factory has been around for what, 150 fucking years? Since before the Civil War? It looks like nobody has done any upkeep on it. Oh no, this thing is hanging by a thread. And everybody in it, except, okay, I like the lead. He's, but he's also kind of a generic lead. Oh, everybody else. Say, I, he's just the blob, man. I can't, I, there's like no personality. Yeah, no, no, he's not given much to work with, but him as an actor, I'm, I'm fine with. But everybody yeah. else seems to be having so much fucking fun. I love yes. Brad Dorf as the rat catcher. I love Steven Mocked as his boss, who's one of the shittiest people on the planet. Okay, so uh, the, okay, so the boss uh, is he from Europe? I can't I can't nail down that accent. I know he's going for kind of like a New oh yeah, way, it's it's weird. Like, he has a mixture of Boston mixed with almost feel like New Orleans, which almost yeah. feels European. Yeah. Yeah, so it's that's like hard to nail down. Well, but I'm wondering. It, it's think, a really good accent. I love it. I if you couldn't. think about where he's from. Maine, it's possible that he has both because you can mix um, like the Boston accent, but also French Canada is right above Maine. And you can see maybe there's a hybrid of how people talk there. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard like uh, people with mixed accents. And it's, it's always really interesting. His, it's just like, it feels like it's three. It feels like it's southern. It feels like it's a little New Orleans. It also feels like a little British for some reason. That could be well. Also, Canada has a heavy British influence. I mean, they still love the Queen so much. Well, yes. rest in peace. But um, not rest in peace. You know what I mean. She was a shitty person. But I'm just saying that just to be nice. Um, do you have an accent? Because I don't. I don't hear it. Do people say you have one? Who me? Yeah. I mean, uh, people. I, I have friends overseas. I say I have an accent, but I never. Um, I, don't, I do not hear it with you. But do you hear it with me at all? Uh, not really, but yeah. you know, they, you just have the accent that I have, so we don't hear it. But. Yeah, I just I'm curious. There's every once in a while, there's a word that I'll say that has an accent to it. But here's the thing: Indiana is strange. Um, I'm right in the heart of Indiana. There is no accent. But if you just go up like an hour, you have like this Michigan, Wisconsin, Canada accent. Like, oh, good day. You know, almost that kind so of. So interesting. Yeah, and then if you go two hours south, you have a southern accent because southern Indiana is so close to Kentucky. It's strange. The boot is weird. Mm. Well, I mean, I I don't like I don't have a name for my accent because people don't really have a name for it. I call it TV anchor accent. <laughs> I call it generica. <laughs> yeah. So like, if you watch even in southern uh, states local news or whatever, like they try to hide that accent so hard. It's really weird that. They all try to speak in a very monotone, um, sort of uh, northwest kind of accent. Yeah. Uh, but back to the movie. Sorry, we got him off our tangent. I told you, this is a caffeinated episode. If you do not like rats, stay the fuck away. Because <laughs> that's like 90% of the antagonist in this movie. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the. the, the main antagonist later but yes like a lot of this movie is rats 
gnawing at everything, including people, and it's very disgusting if you don't like rats. If you want a perfect double feature with this, you go with the Mangler. It's the same kind of feel, this big, old, sweaty factory filled with like overacting and crazy uh, behavior. Uh, which one's the main one? That's the one with Robert England. He's got this eye, this monocle, whatever, his squished face, whatever. He's running a haunted uh, like laundry press that's that's possessed by a demon. It is fucking campy as shit. Oh, I have it, and we're going to watch when we get to 1995. It's one of the oh, lowest grossing um, Stephen King movies. It was a huge flop. Speaking of which, uh, did you notice the tomatoes, right, tomato score on your voodoo for, for Graveyard Ship? It's 0%. What? I don't, ever, I don't think I've ever seen that. This is way better than 0%. What the fuck? This is good pulp. Like, I, I think... I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but there's a lot of things that it does right. It's definitely not a zero percent. Yeah. Uh, what I really like is I like how town feels. I like the characters. Um, they're they can be pretty goofy at times, but for some reason also really grounded. In yeah, they way. feel like real people. How, like, it's just they're crazy people. Sorry, what? Uh, they feel like real people. They're just really crazy, like eccentric yeah. people. And, but that's also what's interesting about the town is that. Like, it's so old and falling apart, and yet they rely on that industry that they're not doing anything to fix or upkeep. And there's kind of this otherworldly presence that's there, so maybe so like they're too afraid to do any upkeep. Like, they don't, they, they don't want to go down there and fix those friggin' pipes where the creature is. Yeah. So it's like this this town has this hidden secret, and it's dry, slowly driving them insane. <clears throat> like, they're just waiting for any day. This whole opera, this whole town's going to go under any second. The, so, uh... Like, these like big personalities you, I, I get like this sense that like like you said people are just kind of driven slowly to insanity the uh it feels like it's about to cave in like the ground yes. the, the planet is swallowing it up as like punishment yeah it, it, it has kind of that uh HP lovecraft kind of feel to it and uh yes thank you that is a perfect um I just read the uh, mini story about this in the graveyard. No, the night. What is it? The night shift. I keep calling it the graveyard shift, but that's the story. Night shift is the collection of his like short stories that he did for magazines and and anthologies and stuff like that. Some was uh, notated to him, but some was uh, to Backman. Uh, but it's it's only like 13, 15 pages, or whatever. But it's the story. It's the story. It just misses a lot of the character pieces. But I'm you... interested to know if if some of this is. Uh, inspired by an H.P. Lovecraft story called Rats in the Wall. Because um, it does have a kind, of, a kind of similar vibe going on. I mean, in, in, in Rats in the Wall, that's like uh, someone's house that they inherited that they keep going insane because they keep hearing like movement in the walls. And yeah, yeah, I've read that one. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that was really good. I'm wondering if it has, uh, if it was in, this one was inspired by that. And the bad creature's good. They spent the money. This doesn't feel like it should be a Paramount movie, though, because it feels like it's an it's ex exploitation movie, doesn't it? And it seems like something that they would not do. Yeah, I, I want to back up really, sec really quick. Uh, what we said, like, the, the rats aren't really, like, the main antagonist. It's a giant bat creature. Uh, I'm not sure why a giant bat. Um, the design is incredible, though. It's very disgusting creepy the way it like wraps its weird leathery wings around people and uh, -huh. uh it's just like they can't like suffocate them it's so disturbing <laughs> yeah the uh this is a side note but speaking of classic old school stories there is one called i believe it's called pigeons from hell by robert e howard have you read this no 
It's one of the scariest goddamn things, maybe the scariest story I've ever read in my life, and it's so simple. It's just, it's set during um, uh, the, uh, the Depression, and it's two homeless guys, and they're just walking through the country or whatever. It's time for them to go to sleep, so they decide to break into this old abandoned house. Um, they, they sleep downstairs, and uh, one of them wakes up in the middle of the night. He looks next to him. The guy is gone, and he turns, uh, he rolls over whatever, and he looks up at the staircase, and slowly he realizes something is staring at him through the darkness. And then he sees his friend's body just drop to the ground, dead. And it's, it's, it's only like 20 pages long, but it's him contemplating moving. Does the creature know yeah. that he's there? I mean, will he, if he moves, will it you know, rush him or whatever? How does he get out of that fucking building alive? And will it still chase him after he gets out? And I've always wanted to see that done in an anthology because I don't think you could do a whole movie about it. That is one of the most terrifying fucking things I've ever read. Yeah, that actually sounds really good. The, the title is kind of unfortunate. But yeah, I don't know why it's called Pigeons from Hell. I can't remember. But, you know, Robbie Howard's known for doing... You said, you said Pigeons from Hell. Yeah, didn't I? Pigeons from Hell? I thought you, I thought you said Pigeons from Hell. Okay, never mind. Oh, yeah, it's uh, Robert E. Howard did uh, all, the, all the sword and sorcery stuff, the, you know, Conan the Barbarian, Red Sonja, whatever, but he did do some horror stuff. Well, Conan's filled with lots of horror, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's definitely monster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that is it, I think. Anything else you want to say about these two movies before we go? I'll say I'm a huge fan of Tales from the Dark Side. I'll definitely watch it again. I don't really know about Graveyard Shift. It's interesting. And there's a lot of like really good world building in it, um, but it's very slow. It's very slow I uh, yeah, I've seen it about ten times. It's one of my favorites. Um, it was not a hit. Uh, the guy who directed it never directed again, which is yikes. Um, but I guess he was like wow. one of Stephen King's producing partners, and he decided to step in and give it a shot. I mean, he didn't do a bad job. Of it. It's just like it's a little, it's a little, it's a little too slow for my taste. Yeah, it's, it's more it's atmospheric, I would say. You know. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. It's just slow. That's all. Yeah. All right. So, Facebook, Twitter, all your podcast hosts. It's Hit Rewind. And that is it, everybody. Have a good one. Good night, folks.